All right. Well, it is that time. 2.45. Welcome. I guess others are still running. <laughs> um, but let's uh, start once again to part three of Turning Tomatoes into Profit uh, this morning. Uh, we chatted about seedlings. We talked about the six elements of success. And um, now we'll be talking as well, going more into the details. And it is interesting because, you know, turning tomatoes into profit, for you to sell tomatoes and for you to do really, really well in sales, then the quality of your tomatoes, the production, they has to be really good. So that's why we are really covering a lot of ground when it comes to actually growing this stuff and learning uh, how to do well in the, in the greenhouses because that's one thing uh, that I that I have noticed that, you know, some people may try to sell tomatoes, but then the quality and the uh, amount of tomatoes, the consistency is not there. So uh, thank you once again for coming and uh, very excited for this coming lecture. We're getting into the meat of things. So uh, let's pray and then we'll, um, we'll start. Very good. Thank you. All right, very good. Welcome, welcome. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you may be with us as we keep learning about your creation. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, very good. So, um, I will be um, sharing with you a few slides and then write some of your questions and then I'll leave definitely that time to chat more. But I want to cover a little more ground um, this afternoon. So, okay, variety uh, consideration and variety makes a difference. So when you're talking about flavor, when you're talking about firmness and the timing, how long it takes, uh, you need to look for these characteristics in your tomatoes. So for example, um, you have cold old or heat resistant. Are you in an area that are that is looking to um, grow tomatoes, but yet you're in a cold environment, you need to look for those things that are actually uh, for the varieties that actually grow better in cold. And that's when, uh, for example, that's when um, varieties and, 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 and hybrids, that's when hybrids come into place. Because what happens is, is that uh, we look for a variety that is really cold resistant, that um, has the characteristics of growing well, but perhaps it doesn't have the right size. So basically the way hybrids work is that they choose one variety that is cold resistant and a variety that has good flavor, mix them to put them together, and then you have variety C. So A plus B equals C. So that's basically why hybrids um, are used in farms and as well uh, the American public just loves consistency uh, don't don't change and much on their plates and in their looks because they you know here in the United States we like consistency and especially in the south um, so basically you want to look for that all right so that's what my grandpa grandpa ate and that's what I'm eating too so um, you gotta provide that you know so and, and the way 
we keep that same consistency in the variety is by, high, by having hybrids. Uh, because as many of you know, heirlooms, they don't look the same. <laughs> um, you know, one tomato will produce, I mean, one plant will produce a lot of varieties. So hold your question there for a little bit, okay? So, um, days to maturity. So um, this is one as well that is, that is big when it comes to rotation and planting your tomatoes in rotation. And we'll discuss a little more in the next slide about this. But one of the things we look into when choosing your variety is long-term performance. And what I mean by that is that each tomato, each variety doesn't perform the same. So for example, one tomato will do a lot of beautiful tomatoes for the first three or four sets. But then after the third week that you harvest, your productions, your, the size of your tomatoes, the quality of your tomatoes, and the quantity of the tomatoes starts, start to decline. Um, so basically that's, that's one of the, uh, that's, that's one of the things we look for. Now, we'll chat a little more about this later uh, in the next slide, but basically when you talk about rotations, um, in the beginning of the season, when like in my area in Colorado there at Eden Valley, um, we, we have markets starting in April, the last week of April. But for us, that's like way too early to have tomatoes. So what it means is that as soon as I have tomatoes, I'm going to have a lot of people wanting tomatoes. So one of my strategies, instead of planting a tomato, for example, that will produce good size, but not a lot of tomatoes. So basically, there are certain varieties that will produce good sized tomatoes for a long period of time. There are other varieties that will do good sized tomatoes, a lot of it, in the first three weeks. So for my first rotation, for example, for my first planting, then I'm going to try to plant a variety that will do really well. So you produce beautiful tomatoes all at once so I can come to the market with lots of it while my second rotation is going to back me up in a little in in few weeks when these are starting to when the first rotation is starting to decline then my second rotation is going to take over but in the meantime I was able to harvest a lot of tomatoes in a short amount of time and so and I uh, will expand this concept a little more in the next slide but basically um when, when you're looking at a tomato, these are the things that you need to look for. Long-term performance, it's a short-term performance or a long-term performance. Can in a four months, can this plant produce, uh, we still have some chairs here on this side. Come on, come on up. <laughs> so in a, um, is, is this tomato in five months, will I harvest a good looking tomatoes? And that's what you need to look for in a variety so um choose varieties that people are familiar with that this is just another key factor um as a farmer i may like certain varieties i may like certain things but it's not what i like you know because i'm not going to be buying the tomatoes <laughs> i want people that are will be familiar with the tomatoes and as well that they they like so of course 
it's not like you're going to not introduce a variety. You know, we have there at Eden Valley introduced varieties to the public that now are like very successful. I, there's one variety in particular, not of tomatoes, but um, of, of cantaloupe. It's called Lambkin. Uh, Johnny's has it. It's uh, kind of like a honeydew, uh, honeydew melon mix. And it is the sweetest melon, great flavor. If you don't like honeydew, and if you don't like melon, you will like this one. <laughs> and, and if you like watermelon, I mean, if you like melons and you like honeydew, you're not going to like those. You're going to like this one. So, so the first time, I mean, we've had, uh, pe- we have, we've had people come to our farm stand and be like, you know, pr- pretty much yelling at us and telling us, why you don't have the variety? You need to have it all the time. And it's like, well, <laughs> we run out. <laughs> you're a little late. So... Um, basically, we have introduced varieties like that and have been successful. Uh, there's one pepper as well that I'm familiar with in Dominican Republic, and we call it gustoso, which is a very small pepper. It looks more like a habanero, but without the heat, and it has a lot of flavor. One pepper will season the whole pot of beans or whatever, and, and I grow that one, and, and people just love it. They, they taste it, and, and so it becomes a favorite. And so... Um, so this is, you know, that's the kind of like the balance between grow what people like, but little by little you can introduce them to other things as well, other varieties um, as well. So, uh, and then of course must pay attention to the seed description when purchasing. And this is where I am going to show you these slides right here. So for example, uh, Marbonne, it's a hybrid version of the long popular French heirloom um, Armade, but with improved disease resistance and vigor. So this sentence has quite a bit here. It has improved disease resistance, meaning it does better than other varieties. So if, if for example, your French heirloom Marmaid is something that is popular, then you, will, you can try this one uh, to see if you can get you know, if you can, if, if the public will, will, will like it because it has better disease resistance. Yes. All right. Just making sure that I'm still speaking here. <laughs> um, all right. So, so right here, and the other thing is vigor. Vigor is one of those things that you really need to like, look for in a variety uh, because Vigor is what will um, get that plant in three months into production and still give you a good foliage, a good stem, and a good-sized fruit. Um, the other thing is, is that beautiful deep red. So this is more of the description of the tomato, ripped tomatoes. This is one thing. If, you're, if the people around it don't, they, they like a smooth tomato, this may not be your, your tomato because it has those ribs. Um, and then uh, are, are born on healthy plants. Now, this one, I, can, I planted this one last year, um, odd enough, and, and um, I'm not going to plant this variety <laughs> this year because I'll, I'll share with you later why. But the plants, the health of these plants are incredible. I mean, the thickness of it the foliar on it, but because of the healthy and the vigor, 
the sucker production it's like more than tomatoes <laughs> so so i have to prune a lot and you know i i can't really put that much time into into uh, uh pruning uh it's a great variety you know it's it's about eight hundred dollars for a thousand seed uh but the pruning it's it's now in terms of flavor perhaps one of the best tasting tomatoes that i've tried are, are these right here yeah so uh, of course you're looking for high yields that's you know please if you buy something make sure it's a high yielder um seven to nine ounce this is good as well um this is a smaller size of tomato um you want you don't want all your tomatoes in your greenhouse or your production to be seven to nine you want something to be a little more so like eight eight to twelve ounce or something like that because what's going to happen is you're going to end up with this eventually so you you want to you want to kind of grow a bigger size of tomatoes because at the end of the day anyways you're going to end up with a smaller one because plants don't produce it's big so and when they give you this number it will give you kind of like the most that the plant can produce which is a seven to nine so you want to look for a little higher that way you can end up with a good slicer still um one thing that happened to me in um when i started far farmer's market uh in arkansas was the, the funniest thing so at the beginning of the season you know you have the best tomatoes it's like they, they they're shiny they're great so i showed up with my flats of, of tomato and everyone is coming and looking for the small tomatoes and it's like oh um no these are too big and i don't eat so much tomatoes and that's too big for me and and this and that oh okay well <laughs> i don't know what to do here you can slice them up and take half of it i guess <laughs> Um, but you know, tomatoes started to sell the next week they came it's like, wow, that's a lot of, that's, that tomato was good. And this and that, well, mid season and forward, I had small tomatoes. Well, guess what? They were looking for the big tomatoes. <laughs> so, and, and I, and after that, actually every year they got used to the big tomatoes because what you hear, what you hear in town, right? What people say is like, oh, big is not good and doesn't have as much flavor as the small one that's not necessarily the case um i'm not sure where that came from but um basically makes a nice mix with uh here in the description makes a nice mix with uh marnero and margold um this is good as well if you want to grow different tomatoes in one greenhouse uh uh marnero and margold are other varieties now this is the catcher here. This variety requires a minimum of 13 hours of daylight. So I mentioned earlier, right? The sun being one of the six elements for something to grow well. And I remember uh, a few years ago, we had a small area of one of our greenhouses, like 20 plants of this variety, uh, because that's how we do trials. So basically, if you wanna introduce a tomato into the uh, into the market you don't plant your entire greenhouse with it you just plant a little bit you see how you perform as well so we were doing a trial and ended up in the beginning of the season and this green this tomato was just just slow 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 beautiful plant though the performance was great but no tomato it it is stay i mean ripening it took forever for those tomatoes to ripen and it was because it was the, again it was beginning of the season not enough sunlight so, but this one, I planted this one 
uh, one of my last crops that I planted in June when it's hot and long days in Colorado and it performed really, really well. My only co complaint is just the pruning. Um, now, so this is very important as well. The other thing is, is that um, this one is, uh, if, you, if you notice here, you have an, an indeterminate variety. And I know earlier we, we were talking about indeterminate versus determinate, whether you know, we took notice of that. When it comes to greenhouses, uh, in production of a greenhouse, you want indeterminate tomatoes. Uh, determinate tomatoes are really good if you are a ketchup manufacturer or something or sauce or s something that you want a lot of tomatoes at once. And so because determinate tomatoes will definitely will will give you all the tomato like let's say 10 pounds right let's say one tomato plant produces 10 pounds and basically one plant of the determinate tomato the 10 pounds will give it to you in like four in like three weeks three four weeks and that's it and then it kind of kind of go you know kind of retires and then comes back and then it gives you more the term indeterminate tomato will give you the 10 pounds kind of slowly but surely and that is good because we don't eat 10 pounds at once we eat one tomato today you know so forth and so on so you want that slow release into the market and that's why greenhouse uh, uh, indeterminate tomatoes are better for greenhouse production and for sales as well and so i but yeah um very good now just back to the slides here one thing is um when it comes to one of one of the things here and the firmness of the tomato how firm it is the reason one of the main reasons heirloom tomatoes are expensive is not it's not necessarily because they're like hard to grow even though they are a little bit uh, but it's because they don't hold transportation and when it comes to selling your tomatoes you want a tomato that you that you like a basketball you throw it in there you pick it up and you sell it <laughs> so so not quite like that but aroma tomato will do that aroma tomato when we're dealing with Roma it's like in we we grab the basket and we just top just just tumble in there and then okay you want how much how much how many pounds okay 30 here and and they're firm nothing happened to them because they don't have much water uh, Roma tomato that's why they're good for sauce uh, that's why like the ketchup company uses them and any salsa manufacturer uh, I mean maker so and 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 that's why but um, heirloom tomatoes have a lot of water have a lot of mass have a lot of meat in them and they're very soft and on top of that they have thin skin which they break it's it's a mess so uh, if you want to grow tomatoes for your first time as um, as um, uh, for 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 production for sales don't start don't start with cherry tomatoes and don't start with heirlooms <laughs> and so uh, cherry tomatoes are great but they are they're very fast they don't they're not gonna wait for you and um, <laughs> and, and they and they produce a lot of suckers too so, but they're, they're, they're very fast. They're always going. You know those type of people that are always going somewhere? You know, they're always going, going somewhere. You better catch up with them or the one they're going to. So, yeah, uh, they're, on, they're on the go always. But, um, um, 
Okay, so very good. Any questions on this slide? Write it down. Coming back at you. <laughs> All right, timing your rotation. So how long are you supplying your tomatoes for? Um, this, is, this is one right here that um, you need to figure out when is the market. Um, how long are you to supplying these, these tomatoes for? And, and one aspect of that is that, let's say, like, for example, peak season in Colorado, for some reason, when it warms up, people want tomatoes. <laughs> I'm not sure why is that. I can have a lot of tomatoes in early June or May, and still, like, not a lot of sales. But once July comes, August comes, it's like, I mean, the tomatoes, they just go. And so... I want to make sure that during that time, I have a lot of tomatoes. Uh, very, very important. Um, one thing is, is that I always say I want to grow about 10% more than what I need. So if you're not composting tomatoes, you're not growing enough tomatoes. All right? <laughs> yeah. So um, monthly planting will give you continuous yields. Now, in the planting schedule... Um, what I've, what, what I found is that every, so one, one greenhouse, greenhouses will do this to you, to tomatoes, they will produce and then they'll kind of drop a little and then they will come again and they will go like this. All right. Some varieties of course will, will do this <laughs> a lot faster like a big bee variety, for example, we plant that one in this, the first, the first planting is, for example, a big beef. That one will be ripening the first, the third, the first, the second, the third, and sometimes even the fourth set of tomato all at once. And they're beautiful tomatoes, but after that, don't, don't look for tomatoes there. Some, <laughs> there's none. Um, and so what, what, what we do is that what I found is that four weeks in between plantings is the best because what happens is, is that this tomato starts producing, goes really well, really well, really well, and then starts going down. But guess what? There's another rotation coming up. And then I keep that plateau like this. And then that, 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 that production supplied very, very well. Uh, and of course, it's not like the first one is gone. No, it's just that it slows down for a week or two and then comes back again. But it's middle of the summer. I have a lot of product. I mean, I have a lot of demand. So everything sells. All right. And then so I usually do three or four rotations. I have right now. Uh, of course, this is depends on the availability of your greenhouses. But what we usually do is uh, first rotation, second rotation. Third rotation goes outside, and the fourth rotation goes inside the greenhouse. Uh, and the one for greenhouse, so if you ask me, I would like some slicing tomatoes, it will cost you $6. And this is in Colorado, and we'll talk about pricing, all right? Don't get scared. Um, but if you ask me for Roma tomatoes for sauce, it will be, if you pick it, 50 cents. You know what's the difference? I did, I, I did not touch that tomato plant outside. I did not prune it. I didn't uh, 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 trellis them, any of that. that. I just grow tomato, large quantities out there, and I 
really didn't put much time to it, so it can be cheaper, plus they produce a lot. And on top of that, the frost is coming in like two weeks, so I need to, you know, I'd rather bless somebody else than, than compost it. So, plus there will be some for that too. Um, um, arrange for production to line up with your market needs and demands. Um, that's one thing that, you know, if you can have tomatoes from your, the first day of market, of course, in some areas, this is not possible. Like in uh, Eden Valley, we don't have tomatoes for our first market because of that deal with it's, it's too cold to, to start there. Uh, and I don't have heated floors. Now, if I had heated floors, then I could grow tomatoes, uh, but I don't. So the, the soil is still too cold, and um, yeah, so it doesn't work. But have tomatoes as early as possible. And this is when timing your crops, like we talked about earlier, you can get, you can push the limits of saying on Friday, I can plant on Friday the 5th, I can plant tomatoes, but not on, on, on the first of the month. Like you, you know the limits. And so the earlier you can get, that way you are the first one to go to market. The key to really good markets is to be there first. First, first, first. Because if I'm used to buying here and suddenly this one has kale and I'm like, well, that one doesn't have it yet. Let me buy kale here. But then you're already coming here. And the next, you, so you, you, you want to capture the, the, the customers first. Um, and, and that's how you do that. Uh, so you have, to, you have to come first. And the thing is, is that, and then this is when like a week or two weeks makes a difference. Because, for example, let's say my planting schedule, I know my last frost date, and I go in and plant my tomatoes on time, but, then, but the neighbor is like, ah, it's going to rain tomorrow, and it's going to snow the next day, and I have to go to town the next day. And, you know, all the excuses come up, and two weeks later is when the neighbor plants the tomatoes, right? So now we're two weeks apart, and that's exactly the two weeks advantage that is going to make me successful in markets because you know, uh, I'm going to be ahead of, the, ahead of the game here. So you have to think about how to get first to market, and um, that's uh, um, applying that as well. And, of course, knowing when there is a high demand so you have it. The last thing you want to do is that when people are looking for it, and you should have it, the last thing you want to happen is for, for you not to have it. So um, choose heavy early yielders that produce good-sized tomatoes, and then long-term. So this is the same idea as well. Uh, think about, okay, the first, is, is my demand of tomatoes in the first of the season, is it heavy or is it light? Because if there is that much, if you only have one market, for example, and there's not a lot of demands, you can still plant a long-term producer because the plant will give you some. You don't have to uh, uh, grow a heavy producer right from the beginning. You can just grow a long-term uh, tomato producer right away. So my recommendation would be, let's say you only have one greenhouse and you're going to a few markets, just get a one variety that will do really well throughout the season and plant that. What I don't recommend is that if, if, it's your only t if you only have one greenhouse, and you plant a heavy producer that will give you a lot of tomatoes in the first three weeks and you don't know what to do with so many tomatoes, 
And then when the heat comes and the people come, you won't have tomatoes. That's the situation you want to um, for sure avoid. Um, now, early is not better on time. Harvesting is key. Now, this is the idea of what I found, like I mentioned early as well. I reference to this is that t tomatoes don't like to do any plants, really. They don't like to get stopped. Like, can you wait there for three weeks while this ground, you know, is ready? So basically, you want to keep the plant growing. So sometimes I see farmers and, and people that start their tomatoes like seven, eight weeks before it can go outside. And in my experience, it's not better. You're pretty much wasting your time uh, uh, in terms of, you know, you, you could have started early, I mean later, and that's fine too. Again, this is not just like, oh, um, meaning what I'm trying to say is this, if you can plant your tomatoes, if you, if you can't plant your tomatoes before May 1, if you start them in January, and I start my, my, in April, a month before, I can plant them outside, it doesn't mean you're going to have tomatoes before me. What it means is that when you put those tomatoes where they actually need to go, they're going to have to kind of reset. They, they're going to have to go to that trauma period. While my tomatoes, that I start them way later than yours, then it's like, oh, let's keep going. And they have a great, great advantage. Hold your question for a little bit. Um, so, yes, you can start them a little earlier. And, of course, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of what works for you and your preference. But that's what I really found, that early is not necessarily better, but what is important, what is key, is on time. Um, and that's one thing. Now, there's one exception to this rule. You ready for this one? Peppers. Peppers, they like to be left in that room and, and forget about them. So, and I learned this one actually recently. Uh, the next, we have a farm next door, um, and he started that uh, the, the peppers like a month and a half before we did and we're like ah this guy doesn't know what he's doing this and that and so uh because he started the tomato at the same time and their tomatoes they don't do well <laughs> and so but then his tomatoes did really well and i'm like huh i wonder i wonder if that's something there <laughs> so then I say, you know what? I think I need to start my tomatoes early. So now, I, I mean, my peppers. Now my peppers, for example, I start them at least three to four weeks before my tomatoes. The ones that are going outside. Because for some reason, peppers, they like to be root-bound. They like to, their, their stem has to be hard first. So they're, they're a little slower. And I find that as soon as you put them in the ground and they feel that, that soil, a different environment, and a little heat, they take off really fast. So the last few years, I've had great success with peppers, and, and that has been one technique. And so, um, but yeah, so just, just remember this idea that on time is what we're thriving here for. Because one thing that we have to remember is that if I can get away planting them on time, which is four weeks before planting them in the ground, why should I burn energy in the greenhouse heating it? my time, somebody else's time, and just time in general, why start three weeks earlier than what I really need it for? Mm -hmm. And so that's that.
Very good here. Water and fertilization. Uh, tomatoes are heavy feeders. Uh, that's one thing that, um, and, uh, and, and this slides, by the way, I'm going to give you some information about tomorrow when it talks about greenhouse management. We're going to dive into the system of fertilization and watering, but I need, to, I, I need to chat with you here about fertilizer and how I fertilize my greenhouses. What is the principle behind it? I'm not going to be talk, chatting about kinds of fertilizer. I'm going to be basically explaining what kind of principles and in, in when it comes to fertilization. Um, consider the amount of plants when fertilizing and watering your greenhouses. You see, there is the difference. There is a difference when you have a garden and a garden bed that has one tomato here, lettuce, cilantro, spinach, Swiss chard, cabbage. You know, it has a multi-feeding uh, 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 frenzy there. You see, there, there's multiple plants eating different nutrients at a different soil, at a, at a different depth in the soil. But with tomatoes, there's one variety at one depth sucking up the same nutrients. All right, so it's like sending all the agents through the through the uh, through 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 the through the uh, line first. The rice will be gone. You know, you send all the Dominicans there. The beans will be gone. You know, so but if you send like a variety of things, right, like multi people through the line that eat different things, the buffet line will will come down evenly. Or you know, more or less. So. Um, and so what's happening here within, in the greenhouses is that you have only one variety eating up the same stuff at the same level. So there is one thing that I, we talked about earlier is that one thing is nutrients in the soil and another thing is available nutrients in the soil. And so when you have so many tomatoes lined up in that when you have 800, 1,000 plants in this little space, then you need to supply the, the main nutrients that those plants are needing. That way you can have good success. Otherwise, if you're thinking that a perfect soil will give you a perfect crop without adding any fertilizer in a greenhouse tomatoes, that's going to be a little hard. Um, so, so basically the fertilization approach that I use, there are three primary nutrients. You guys know what these are, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. It's important to learn them in that, in that order because they appear in that order in any packages for, for the nutrition. So you have nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Now, nitrogen is good for what? For growth. Phosphorus is good for what? For fruiting. And, and potassium? Huh? Cells development, growth, size of the fruit has a lot to do with the ripening of the tomatoes as well. Um, so what does that mean? That basically, according to the stage of the plant, I add this. So in the first few weeks, in the first two weeks of when I plant my tomatoes, my fertilizer, yes, is going to have nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, but it's going to have a little more nitrogen than the other two. Because now the plants are focusing in what? In growing and of course they need the phosphorus for root development as well and the potassium for um, cells development but the main thing that they're sucking is is nitrogen now after that I switch them and then that's when I add 
the high amounts in phosphorus because now is where the flowers want to appear and some and somebody mentioned earlier about leggy tomatoes this is when uh, if you're having leggy tomatoes you you need to add that intake of phosphorus in your fertilizer uh, that that way you can have more flowers and more flat flat fla flower stem and not just and not just a a big tomato plant because at the end of the day you want tomatoes not you know nobody cooks tomato plant you know it's not it's not a green and so we want those tomatoes to produce um, of course this will vary uh, where you are like in Colorado it is amazing because of the altitude there we are at 5,600 feet and tomatoes will start producing really low they produce a lot they don't grow as fast as fast as here in the south um, because in the south it's a lot warmer and, and things grow very fast um, so but if you follow this fertilization method you will have great results doesn't matter where you are uh, but one thing you need to be careful with and, and, and you watch the plants you know if your plants are growing too fast then two weeks one week of that nitrogen focused fertilizer is good now if they're a little slow then you can do three weeks uh, so but you you have to watch where your plants are the other thing is so so switching then to phosphorus and then of course once once uh, after three or four weeks of that phosphorus then you switch to that potassium intense fertilizer and then the fourth stage is then you kind of rotate a little bit of of the three as you go or all three in the same quantities um, so like a like a triple 13 as an example I'm not saying that you should put that but that's that's the idea um, so and and this is what I've been using for the past literally the same principle as the last uh, 15 years of growing tomatoes and one of the things that I like to put especially at the beginning is a combination of micronutrients micronutrients and a boost of microorganisms you can you can buy these things and, and there are s certain formula and certain things that have a lot of microorganisms in there you add it to the soil and it just and it just helps to break down that compost it helps to break down that soil and make all those nutrients available um, and give balance as well so because microorganism kind of you know it's kind of like a rig. Bring a little more nitrogen this way, push potassium that way. It kind of helps to balance that, that soil uh, structure. Uh, the other thing is, is that add compost and amendments like alfalfa pallets, gypsum, and bone meal. Now, why these three? I put these three here because, like, for example, alfalfa uh, pallets has two things. It's a huge biomass you add a lot of biomass to your soil and it has a lot of nitrogen so those are uh, basically the main two things that um, the reason why I added so you're adding that biomass that biomass will help you for aeration in the soil and as well food for the microorganism and is as well is a slow release for your nitrogen that you will need on your plants um, the other thing is that gypsum for example if you are in a clay area it will help you to to, to break down your your clay, the compounds there, and of course the bone meal is for that calcium that your tomatoes need. Uh, you know, calcium is like the king of the micronutrients, so you have to make sure that is present there. Uh, one of the main costs, which is calcium for blossom and rot. Now, blossom and rot can come for 
other things like water, stress, and dry soil. Um, but this as well will give you, um, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons as well. Because calcium is the, is the it's kind of, um, calcium is kind of like, like the guy that just carries all the nutrients around, you know, like in my bag, put it in my bag right here and let me deliver things around. So when calcium isn't present, things aren't getting to the plants, or they aren't abs getting absorbed as they should. Um, I always have like this perfect combination in my head, um, but basically compost, uh, compost, some type of calcium, and a little bit of bone meal or limestone. That's like for me, you add it to any soil and it works well, um, you know, like if you're healthy and you eat rice and beans, you're not damaging your health. You know, it's, it's a perfect meal. So um, now, and of course, applying microorganisms to your soil throughout the season. That's something that I just keep applying. Uh, the fertilization system that I use has a huge amount of microorganisms, not only the micro, but as well the food to feed the micro throughout the season, the season as well. And this helps with disease uh, prevention, resistance, and things like that. So, um, well, I'm going to open now the floor to some questions. And um, I know back here, um, some of you had some questions about the slide. So let's answer these first. Those are sticking with the heirlooms. Yeah, hybrids or heirlooms. Uh, so what's, what's the benefit of... Uh, hybrids and heirlooms. No, uh, like hybridized heirlooms. Oh, hybridized heirlooms. So like Marbone is one of them. So, um, so heirlooms, heirlooms. Uh, one of the things is that they come heavy. That's one of like pretty much every heirloom that I've grown. They produce a lot and then and then they're gone. Like somebody there producing tomatoes. I mean, they're completely gone. Um, so now these hybridized heirlooms are good, but the amount of pruning you have to do, I think is more than what I'm willing to do. I mean, I mean, this stuff was doing in the leaves, uh, uh, some, 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 sometime you prune the tomatoes, like in between leaves and stem, this stuff was having like three of them there. This was like beyond my, my understanding. I mean, it's like. I don't know how can this produce so much, you so know. You say it's more efficient to just grow. It's, yeah. Just grow an heirloom and just it's just it, cor correct. So when it comes for my greenhouses, I like to grow one main tomato, and then I'll grow one row of heirloom, you know, brandy wine, um, or any other heirlooms of your preference, and or what grows in that area, and then basically that will will. Will do. So people that don't care, they just want tomato. They'll just get what they're used to, and someone that are picky and want more flavor, then they'll get their their brandy wine. And so that's that's what I do. Yes. Yeah. So when it comes to crop rotation in the greenhouse, I do my best to plant um, like something in between. And so if I plant tomatoes here before I plant tomatoes again, I'll plant some lettuce or something there. Um, sometimes that's not possible, but, uh, what we don't do is that 
we pick it up and we plant again. Usually like there's one greenhouse that I'm gonna plant this spring that we had tomato last year, but it's been without tomato now for the past like three months and through the winter and it's resting the soil there. And next year, um, at the end of the year, like in the fall, then that's when I'm gonna plant a bunch of lettuce and things like that. Since it's gonna be one of my first greenhouse to plant, comes August or September, I can pull all those tomatoes out and then plant uh, uh, cilantro, lettuce, beets, stuff in there. So that's, that's what we're doing in, in that greenhouse in particular. But I really like to uh, mix, mix up a little bit. One thing that I do, even within the variety of tomatoes, even though we're taught to rotate between families, I like to rotate even tomatoes. So if I plant my cherry tomatoes on this side, next year I'll put them on the other side. And that is just because of the resist package, the resistant package that each tomato comes with. So we have a question there. Um, yeah, so basically planting early in a greenhouse. What I meant by that is that let's say, let's say you have a market starting May 1 and you have a greenhouse and let's say you need to plant that plant March, March 1, right? So some people start seedlings like in January when they need to plant in March. And that is just, I'm not sure why they do that, but that's how, that's why how they do it. And so, and that's fine if it works for you. For me, I just don't find, not you, you, but I'm saying, you know, you. <laughs> um, but you know, that's, that's how some people find it. And if that works, great. I mean, I have nothing against for anything that works. <laughs> and so, but I think, from what I've seen is that it's not necessary to go so far back. Another aspect is that what happened to me, and this is just my experience, is that um, March, sorry, February 15 is when I put my first tomato seedling. Last year, I was like, I'm gonna push this thing. I'm gonna have tomatoes earlier. And I plan, I started February 5, 5th, and that was too early because my ceilings were great. Of course, I have, you know, heated beds. I have the greenhouse is great. Germination-wide and ceilings was per perfection. But the other greenhouse that the, the ground is not warmed up. When I put them there, it was like, what the, like what, what's happening now? And, and they got delayed so much. They got more delayed than if, if, I, ha if I had planted them in February 15. So by going 10 days before, it wasn't really worth it. And matter of fact, this year, I'm planning to even move it forward to like February 20. Because the ground is too, is too cold and they get stunned. Like they're like, what's happening here? And for that recuperation, it takes a little bit. So I'd rather just wait a little. You know, it's, it's like, let's say I walk and you run, but you're stopping every two minutes to... <gasps> recover breath you know and then the, the guy that is walking never stops and so it's like I learn um, it's like it's like I learned for for road trip it's not about the speed it's about the consistency in your driving and so and that happened to me a long time ago it was, it was you know I was yeah it was amazing you know I I passed I passed this um, U-Haul guy he was going like like 60 65 and I passed out a while. And like five hours later, the guy passed me again. And I'm like, and I remember that I stopped a few times, even though. So anyways, 
you had a question there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Inject them through. <laughs> so you know, it's fun. Inj- I have I have done the injecting part. It didn't work though. Just letting you know. <laughs> Uh, one time, this was, a, this was a long time ago, I was having a nematode problem, which now looking back, I was, the problem that I was having is that I was always overwatering my tomatoes. I grabbed like this fungicide and right where it was, right in the bottom of the stem, I just inject that stuff through and, <laughs> but it's not a patient guy. So, um, so what, what, what I do is that I fertilize actually, again, quite heavy because the tomato itself are heavy feeders. And using this method and, 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 and fertilization approach, I have seen, like with uh, brandywine tomatoes, I mean, the production is like I've never seen before. And I fertilize through drip tape every other week and foliar weekly. So there is a week that they get their feet wet and their leaves wet. And they're like, whoo, let's continue. <laughs> Yeah, so you, you have to feed them a lot. The worst thing that could happen is that your soil gets better. Yeah, yeah, because you're adding organic stuff to it and lots of microorganisms. So, correct. Yeah, so when it comes to fertilization, um, I basically like to do, there are two main approaches when it comes to fertilizer and, and amending and things like that. Some people say, oh, just amend your soil and then you don't have to do anything. Or some people say, oh, it's everything through foliar or just application. I like to do, I like to be hybrid. (laughs) I like to do a hybrid of both. So every year I will do not a crazy amending, just an amending of, I know basic things that the soil need, which is these right here and uh, biomass and compost and things like that. So once a year I do that. And if it's like for a vegetable, like greens, I would add a feather meal, has a lot of nitrogen, lettuce grow like crazy. Um, So... And then throughout my crops, I, I act like if I never amended. And so, and that's, and it, is, it has made a huge impact uh, with it. So because sometimes you amend something and it's not, it's not doing anything until like three years from where you add it to. And so that's, you know, and, it's, it's, and sometimes it's hard to understand that, you know, that you add something like, like the alfalfa pellets when you add it. That crop may not be may not benefit it from the alfalfa pellets, but the next one will. So, you know, when it comes to organic growing, it's about improving and doing better every year. We have a question here. Yeah. So tomatoes, I don't compost. For some reason, at the end of every season, tomatoes are sick. It doesn't matter what you do. If you grow in if you grow in heaven, maybe not. <laughs> um, but I don't compost tomatoes. I just throw them away. I uproot them, um, and then you just till it. Um, I just like to to till that ground uh, well because that way you break the roots. You you bring the soil that the bottom is on the top to the bottom to the top, aerated, and then like here in Florida, if you live around here, then I would plant some like hairy veg which then is a nice cover crop that will keep your ground from getting washed off in the winter and as well that biomass that the hairy veg and the amount of nitrogen that we'll put in the in the spring will be a huge benefit for your garden uh now in the nematodes yeah the nematode problem is that it's it's mainly watering yeah and as well there are varieties here that are nematode resistant 
So when you look for right here, when you look in the description, uh, let me see here. When you look for the description, it will have, this one won't have it here because I didn't copy, but if you go to Johnny Seeds, it will have, you know, what is resistant to. And so, and, and look for varieties that are nematode resistant um, as well. And, and, uh, and one thing, especially here, make sure you thirst those tomatoes before you add water again. Especially here. I wouldn't say this to someone that lives in Arizona, but <laughs> let them thirst, like almost wilting point, okay? And so because cause here, with the amount of humidity and rain, you probably may not need to water those tomatoes. Biochar, um, I I haven't used it, but it's, um, uh, you know, the I'm sure it's it's great, yeah. But I haven't used it, and but if I have some, I'll I'll put it there. <laughs> yeah, I, I again, you know, I I I will add everything to the soil, you know, um, but I think sometimes that when it comes to amending, you know, the idea of making that soil perfect. You know, like we read in Alan White's statement this morning, every variety has different soil needs. And, you know, I don't know. So uh, we had one question. Yes. We use black plastic. We'll talk about ground cover and, and weed management in the other class, uh, ground, greenhouse management class. Uh, but answering to that specifically, um, like the only way that you can grow watermelons and cantaloupes and things like that in Colorado is actually using plastic mulch because it's, it will be an impossible thing. I mean, and, and even locals there are like, I don't know how you guys do this. And I'm like, yeah, I use, I use petrol. <laughs> so, okay, okay. Uh, yes, yes, and yes, all right? Okay, uh, I was wondering, I, I saw in your pictures it looked like you had raised beds under your rows, under the under the ground cover. Does that make a big difference as far as what that you've noticed? What I mean, does it matter if it's flat or just a raised bed? No, it doesn't matter. Okay, I, I was just wondering. Uh, we'll we'll expand on that uh, uh, in in a, in a class that's coming up tomorrow morning uh, or this afternoon. I don't know, but it's coming up. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Because, you know, we're talking about like the growing aspects of things, but then the greenhouse management tomorrow morning, it will be all about greenhouse. I mean, the setup that you actually need. And so, yeah, I'm sorry, we only have a few, few hours here. Um, soil temp? Soil temp? tomatoes in the greenhouse that are too cold? What temperature are you looking for? Um, I would look something above 60 degrees. All right, and then on cherry tomatoes, how do you screw them down? The same way. Okay. Just... Just keep that pruner sharp. We had one question here. Uh, soil sampling, if I do soil sampling, I, to be honest with you, I haven't done much soil sampling. I'm, I'm like an odd farmer. <laughs> so, so basically, the way the production is, it will tell me really how the soil is doing. Um, the thing is about soil sampling, even if you talk to, you know, and you can ask uh, Weimar, um, you know, about more about it. But the thing is, even among them, they don't agree on what soil test is the best. And so, um, 
you know, oh, that method is not good. This method is good. And I mean, they will go for it for days and you don't know what's happening after that. So, um, and one thing that happened to me, I, I did a, so, a, a lab test and it said, oh, you're deficient. The only thing that came back with that was deficiency in nutrients. Uh, I mean, in nitrogen. And my letters were like this big and beautiful. I'm like, I don't know what is this, but it doesn't add up with the results that I'm having. Um, so when it comes to soil testing, uh, that's why for me, instead of like, that's why this idea of adding the compost, the gypsum, because basically compost, any biomass, it's very, uh, it has a lot of, it's acidic acid, meaning a low pH. So when you add a little bit of that limestone, which is a, a, a high, then it will, it will bring it to balance. And then the thing is about compost, it has this magic thing that if, you're, you, if, you're, if your soil has a lot of clay, which tends to have sometimes a high uh, alkalinity, it will bring it down. So it's kind of like that perfect balance. So once you add, this is what, and I've, I've done this in several areas in the United States and in other parts of the world. Once you add compost, limestone, some bone meal, a little bit of gypsum, man, it's like, I mean, you're growing. And so, and of course, especially in your garden, like a general garden, um, just get an all-purpose fertilizer and every week fertilize that stuff. And uh, you'll be growing out of there like never before. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but very good, guys. Let's go for a break. Any, any final questions? I have one minute. Yes, Mark. Yes, we have, a, we have a silt loam with a very low CEC, and it's like walking a tightrope <laughs> to try to fertigate that stuff. And, you know, if you lose a month, you lost the, lost the crop. So is it a, should we actually just really watch the crop really close? And is that our key? Yeah. Um, in a sandy soil, right? In a sandy soil, which is what you have there? Well, still long, yeah, yeah, light sandy. Light, yeah, light sandy, but at the same time heavy, I understand. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, um, and when you fertigate, the water goes like that. Yep. Your roots are up here. Yeah. So that same scenario I had early that I talked about in one of the greenhouses in Wachita, uh, that down there in Arkansas, and it's because it created a crust. So once that crust is formed, and you water them by hand, the water doesn't go down. And then therefore your soil biology in there and everything else is non-existence. Because you're creating, you know, down there the ground is, under this building the ground, the ground is, is dry. So that's why you're creating like a roof. So with the drip system, you now suddenly have a deep area of your soil that is nice and moist. And suddenly you have worms that are coming up and helping to fix that soil for you. Because one of the things about sandy or that type of soil is that it has organic matter, but it's, 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 it's not mixed in well. And so as the, as, the, as the, like for example, worms go through, um, it, will, it will help to, to, to really fix that. And in that case, um, the um, alfalfa pellets will be a huge improvement to that soil. We are Yeah. Um, so, so you still get across, but 
at least when you water, it goes down. Okay, so, oh, I see. So, so then the, 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 the built of your bed, don't make it, because I've, I've had that same problem, and I just make my bed flat. Matter of fact, in one of the greenhouses, I just stopped making beds. <coughs> Excuse me, I just, I just put it straight in the ground. I didn't, I didn't do raised beds. If it's flat, I'm not sure where the water is going, but... Yeah, but again, that area there, it's you need biomass. You need you need some type of biomass because the reason why the water is running away is because it's concrete basically. So it's like going somewhere. So you need something that will help to break that, and and, and biomass will will do that for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 quite the soil to work with. I can tell you that much. <clears throat> but that's one thing. It's it's interesting, and I'll finish with this. Where I grew up, Dominican soil is, is, is fertile and is great, but now where I grew up, <laughs> uh, I'm talking about that like if you didn't fertilize at least three times, you didn't even harvest okra. It was, it was hard clay. It rained uh, 400 days out of the year, <laughs> so, and, um, and it was bad. So when I moved, and, and, but when I was here in Arkansas, they say, oh, the soil is bad, the soil is bad. But I was having great results, and I'm like, how can you have okra without fertilizing? This is great. So, and this is when, for example, this is when, when I talked about earlier about the six elements, this is when putting these in place helped me big time. Because what happens is, is that when you have the six elements put in place, and one is lacking a little bit or two, the others are really strong. So it will, it will help you greatly with that as well. So we'll see you in 20 minutes. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.